curious minds, welcome to season one of Mentorless podcast, a show where I deconstruct the process behind the making of a film. I look at the creative and tactical steps my guests took from having an idea to releasing their finished project into the world. I'm your host, Nathalie Sejean, and in today's episode, I talk with American media maker Jacob Firing about his first feature documentary, Samantha's Amazing Acrocats. Together, we talk about following your instinct when a potentially interesting topic pops out, making a documentary without knowing its final shape, where to place your budget when you have none, attending Doc NYC Fest, and much, much more. If you're into documentaries and thinking about making one, listen up, you will learn a ton. Don't forget to subscribe via your favorite app. You just need to search for Mentorless Podcast and click on the subscribe button. And if you like the show, consider rating it. It really helps. Enjoy the ride and I'll see you on the other side. Jacob, thank you for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about your first feature documentary named Samantha's Amazing Acrocats. And we're going to deconstruct the whole process you've been through from having the ID to releasing it, distributing it, and where you are right now. Before we, we start with how you got the ID, can you tell us where are you from and where do you currently live? So I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so originally from the Midwest, um, but I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. If I were to meet you at a party tonight, uh, how would you introduce yourself? What, what, would, what would you tell me you're doing? Um, I would say, I guess, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm a, I'm a media maker, I guess maybe that's, that's probably how I'd, uh, define myself, conversation. And how, how do you explain media maker? Um, I guess that, you know, I, I do, uh, different kind of projects across the board from feature film now to music video to, uh, video installation and, and everything in between, some documentary work. Uh, so yeah, kind of all of the above. So right now we're going to travel back in time and I'm going to uh, ask you to try remember, hopefully you can. How did you first get the idea or in, in for a documentary, I'm guessing it's a little bit different. How did you first encounter something that led you to making this documentary? Well, we are going very far back in time. Um, it was probably six years ago at this point. Um, and basically, you know, I was, I was making shorter documentary projects. Um, I was making music videos, directing music videos. And I had really always been interested in, in creating um, a longer form piece. Um, I'm really interested in a longer form narrative as well, of course, as a maker. So initially, my friend who lived in Chicago, um, I was living in Milwaukee at the moment, both in the Midwest, of course. Um, he texted me a picture of a cat circus flyer. And I saw this text and I was like, yes. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really know what, what a cat circus entailed, but I was intrigued. And I, I didn't really have intention of making a longer form film. Really, I figured if Samantha, who's the main protagonist in this film, if she was interested, uh, we might do a short piece together. Uh, but basically, I, I went down to Iowa, where she was performing a show um, in the small theater there, and you know asked her about her circus. Um, 
we'd communicated beforehand, so it's not like I just showed up and stalked her. Um, but I was like, can I come down to this show and, and maybe we can make, you know, a short piece together. She said, sure. And, uh, initially that's what it was going to be. But as we continued shooting, um, over the course of a couple weeks on and off, I, I realized that there were a lot of interesting, um, ideas and moments in Samantha's life that were occurring. And so it kind of spiraled ever so slowly into this longer form piece. So I'm interested about deconstructing this, this phase, actually. When you first went to see her, you, or did you already have a camera? And do you remember how you kind of decided on how, how much you were going to follow her or when you were going to meet again, all these elements? Right. So, I mean, the first time we showed up, it was kind of more like, we'll see, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I was like, okay, well, we'll check out this show and see if there's something there that um, could be compelling on screen. Um, I had no doubt that her show was compelling, but of course, you know, it's always a question of whether something in in the real world will, will translate to the screen. Um, so basically, you know, at that time, if I was doing a project and I was hired on a, a music video or something, you know, there was a budget to rent a, a camera and equipment. Um, but for this, I, I didn't really have any of my own equipment. So I basically, I, I asked a friend who had a camera if he could come along, um, kind of, you know, found random people who could provide audio equipment. And we just went and, and you know, decided to see uh, what this would entail, what this show would look like. And Um, Samantha is someone who's a performer. She's she's very comfortable, you know, on stage. So that kind of translated to um, how we began shooting. Um, basically, we started shooting right away and she didn't have a problem with it. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, feel free to film me setting up for the show. We did a short interview that day, which kind of seems, you know, generally speaking, I don't really do that on first shoots if I'm doing a documentary. But, you know, she just seemed like a very comfortable person on camera and on screen so uh, that was that was the initial approach we took so this was uh, over the course of one day or several days yeah about 48 hours it kind of it took us some time to drive to Iowa um, in, in retrospect we probably could have waited to go to a closer show um, closer to Milwaukee where I was residing at the time but I, I think you know Um, in my experience, I always sort of want to strike uh, when the iron's hot, when, when I have an idea um, for a project. I, you know, I really just want to jump in and immerse myself right away um, to, to maintain momentum as we move forward. So we, we drove down, stayed at a hotel, you know, shot with her all day, filmed with her all day, and then headed back. We kind of left it at that point um, that we would be in touch for future shoots. You know, she was She was really uh, friendly and seemed open to, you know, filming further. So basically we got in touch a couple days later and we drove to a show she was doing in a small town in Illinois um, and shot there. And, you know, from there the, the process continued. Do you recall if there is something that made you feel like, okay, it's worth for me to go back to another show and bring my friend again and spend, I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars or I'm not sure how much uh, this type of uh, little momentum were costing you? So, I mean, initially, 
you know, I feel like after the first shoot, we were still sort of trying to find our, our footing and understand what this project would entail. What, what I do know is after seeing her show, I just thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, basically she created this, this really unique show from scratch by herself, you know, this really bare bones yet, yet impressive show. She, she, she got people to show up and, and I was kind of, you know, a bit enamored with this show and um, uh, the passion behind it. So, um, you know, I wasn't really sure if, if this piece could sustain itself for, you know, a feature length. But what I did know is that um, I found the show really compelling and, and the motivation for producing the show very compelling. And so, you know, at, at that point, after seeing it once, I knew that I, I wanted there to be at least some documentation of this show, whether it was a shorter piece or, or a longer one. So this happened in 2012, so this first encounter? No, 2011, you said. Yes, 2011, I believe. Yes, we've, it's been a long haul. So you, you, you started filming pretty quickly after that. And over the course of how long have you been filming and how did you fund this uh, journey? So these are, these are all good questions. Um, like most documentary filmmakers, I feel like especially first-time feature documentary filmmakers, uh, the budget was was pretty close to non-existent. Um, so basically, you know, we we found some grants um, once post-production started, but for the first five to six years, basically. Um, predominantly I was paying out of pocket. One of the reasons why it took so long to film is because of that reason. Um, I was, I was working other jobs at the time, you know, and we'd film for a couple weeks and then we would, uh, wait around for more money to come in and, and continue that process. Um, that being said, I think in retrospect, uh, that was an important part of the process because we really, over the course of time, follow Samantha and, and really, uh, you know, in my opinion, I believe, begin to understand her world um, over the course of five years in a way we wouldn't if this was shot in, in six months. So I, I think the patience um, really comes through in the story. As, as well. I'm curious, do you know how much was the budget? Like, I know you didn't have a budget, but you still spend money. So let's say, mm -hmm. uh, looking back, how much did these first five years, uh, how much money did you put into these, these first five years? Right. And I mean, it is all in the books. Um, I, would, I would have to take a moment and, and, and look to tell you exact numbers. But what I will say is this was shot literally next, um, with literally like next to no money. Um, Essentially, I, I didn't even own a car at the time. I, I convinced a friend who was interested in helping, and you know, we would drive all over the country to New Orleans, to Minnesota, um, wherever, uh, with his car. Um, we borrowed all of the equipment. Um, you know, we, we asked a lot of favors and, and returned those favors by helping with other people's productions. Um, we sometimes we would sleep in a car on the side of the road um, or in. Uh, Samantha's vehicle when she was sleeping in a hotel she was nice enough to let us sleep in the vehicle sometimes um, so sometimes we would travel in the vehicle and do that uh, so really all the only expenses we had were gas and food um, everything else was just us doing it you know out of our own uh, volition so 
And you were you were doing the editing. How was it working after after shooting? Once you were coming back home with the footage from a new shooting session, what were you doing with it? Yeah, so I mean, for the first year or so, I, I didn't really uh, touch too much of the footage. Um, in fact, a lot of the footage from the first year we didn't even end up using. Um, I, I think the first year was really more about, in retrospect, um, even though I didn't really realize it at the time, the first year was really more about um, being comfortable with each other. So, you know, shooting, filming with Samantha and, and making sure she was comfortable on camera and we were comfortable in sort of developing this re relationship. Um, but so the first year there wasn't much editing and then from there I began piecing um, the footage together and creating scenes and seeing what we had um, and what we thought worked and um, that, was, that sort of was a continuous process till the end. Um, in, in the last year, we had we hired an amazing editor um, to help finish the job because basically uh, at that point I had lost perspective and, and I really felt I needed someone in the editing room with me. Um, so this amazing editor, Armando Crota, um, came on and, and he helped. Well, I'd say he more than helped. He, you know, we worked collaboratively to to craft the final story. How did you meet with him? How did you find him? It was very serendipitous uh, experience because I was looking for an editor, um, and of course, as I said, you know, our budget was really limited. So, you know, especially in New York, um, it's like you know, some some top rate editors, um, you know, they cost a lot of money. You know, you're you're paying for what you get a lot of the time. Um, you know, they're really good at their craft, and of course, it's going to cost a lot, especially in a city where the cost of living is pretty high. Um, but so basically I was looking around, I was asking friends, um, and one of my friends said, or she told me that she was part of this listserv in New York where basically a bunch of different uh, media makers post, you know, either jobs or, you know, inquire about um, different talent. And so she was nice enough to post an ad and um, a, a bunch of people responded um, but one of the people that was really notable was Armando, the editor that we um, that I worked with. And so really the first time we met was via Skype and, and we just talked about the project. I, I sent him a link of, of footage that I had edited together and we, we talked about what the final project could look like and, and went from there. And at that point you already knew you were going for a feature, right? I did, you know, um, and, and it was really complicated because one of my concerns was whether uh, this film could sustain itself for a feature. Um, I knew that it felt like a longer film than a, you know, eight to ten minute short. And I wanted to, you know, use all of this amazing footage to craft a piece. But I was trying to determine a length that would be, you know... That would be a good length and, you know, would, would not only be watchable, but, you know, sustain itself and, and be engaging. So th that was one of the questions. And it turned out being a, a relatively short feature, but I guess, you know, technically it's, it's a feature. So. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I found very interesting in your documentary, which you, you kind of mentioned before, and um, I just want to make sure that I, I got I'm, I'm imagining it right, is the mm -hmm. fact that there are a lot of ellipses. The time, time is passing between two um, uh, filming sessions and you don't 
you understand time is passing, although you're not, you might not know how much time has been passing between two moments. And I was just wondering, you were basically going there when you had time, or were you in touch with Samantha and she was telling you, you know, I, I think this, it might be interesting for you to be here at that point. And the reason why I'm asking that is because there are a couple of moments in the documentary where I I, I found it interesting that there was not more content about a certain type of event. Mm -hmm. uh, and it felt like I wasn't sure if some moments were not there because you took them out in the edit or because you were not there to shoot and this kind of make it the way it is. Uh, right. I'm thinking specifically about the whole crowdfunding uh, moment. I don't want to spoil people too much, so I don't want to say anything about just saying there was this crowdfunding moment, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was I was intrigued about how did you organize your shooting period? Yeah, so I mean, basically, Samantha and I were perpetually in touch, um, especially at the beginning. Uh, you know, she wasn't, she had just started working with this circus. We, we kind of caught her closer to the beginning and the, the conception of this show. Uh, so... She had a lot more time to be in touch with me, is the impression I got. So in other words, initially, you know, she would let me know whenever an event was happening. Um, and as she, she began finding a bit more success, I, I think, you know, as you can probably tell from watching the film, her show is like a 24-7 job. You know, she is she's either driving from one city to another. She is, um, you know, training her cats. She is you know, building new sets, she's doing all these things, she's, um, you know, constantly working at her craft. So at a certain point, I felt like, you know, it, it felt like she didn't have as much time to keep me posted, and, and it required me, you know, inquiring a bit more and saying, okay, what's what's happening in your life at the moment? Um, can we check it out? So I would say that there were, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. So in other words, there are some moments that um, perhaps we didn't catch on film, but um, there are other moments where we decided to really uh, shorten those scenes in in order to um, serve the story and the arc, and and you know not necessarily um, make the duration of certain scenes too long. Um, to you know, because because we really discussed what we wanted the arc of the film to look like. So so I would say it was probably a bit of both that was happening. From the IMDb, I, I understood that you were you were taking care of the sound during the shooting. So yeah, I mean this is this this was another uh, thing due to the bare bones um, next to nothing budget of this film, um, or at least in you know production, um, the, the budget kind of increased in post a bit, but. Uh, initially, uh, it was me and, and the producer, Tom Trudeau. He was, for the most part, handling camera, and I would handle the boom and ask questions and, and direct it simultaneously. Um, towards the, the last couple of years, since we didn't have a budget, I couldn't really ask him to keep performing these duties. Um, you know, he, he, of course, had things he needed to do in his life. So I became sort of the camera person, director, and audio person all at once. So, yeah, the first couple of years I was doing more boom work simultaneously, and at the end I was sort of doing it all, um, except for a couple shoots that felt really important 
um, for sit-down interviews and things like that, where, where I brought in a larger team that could light the space and that could shoot it while I, I sat down and interviewed. But um, yeah, so, so that was also a mixed bag. There's, there's a lot of improvising over the course of this period of time. Well, that's great. I mean, how, how were you doing when you were handling the camera to get good sound? Were you, did you put a mic on her or? Yeah, so, so a lot of time I would put a lav on her um, and also had a shotgun mic on the camera. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, due to the fact that she's constantly in motion, you know, there wasn't time to, to put a lav on. And in that case, you know, we, we had to deal with what we had. But, but I try to as much as possible. Basically, one of the things that uh, I, I always find impressive in documentaries and, and, and that happened in yours is the fact that it really felt like you had access to pretty much everything. Uh, Samantha really opens up while doing her other stuff. It's not like she's sitting on a chair looking at you and talking. It's like she's just not trying to pretend I'm guessing over the course of many years it's hard anyway but the the opening of the of the of the documentary is her waking up how do you happen to shoot when someone is waking up and going through their morning motion this is a, a question I have <laughs> yeah, no that's that's a very good question um you know and, and I, I think it differs from project to project um as I said you know I think due to the fact that Samantha is a performer um you know, she, she felt pretty at ease and comfortable around the camera. Um, so, you know, shooting her, getting up, basically, there was always a conversation regarding what would be shot. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I try to look at documentary making like, like having a conversation. In other words, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, hide and get the shot secretly or covertly. Um, to me, the joy of working in documentaries, collaborating and, and hopefully both parties get something out of it. If not, um, you know, it, it doesn't really sit well with me or, you know, it, you know, I like the camaraderie of working together on something. So, so conversations like that were had beforehand, you know, it wasn't like I was just like busting into her van and like surprising her with the camera. You know, we, we kind of talked about it the, the, the night before or a couple days before. And she's like, yeah, you know, um, that's fine. You, you can come in and film me getting up if, you know, wh whatever you need. Um, she, she was pretty generous in that regard, uh, regarding what, what footage she, she allowed us to get. Um, but you know, there were a lot of conversations. I, I always wanted to make sure, um, that I was not overstepping any boundaries as much as I could, you know, um, I, it, it's, it was never worth it for me to exploit a situation to get a shot. So, so hopefully she felt as comfortable as possible throughout the process as could be given, you know, the close quarters and dynamics. So there is a, I mean, I don't know how much of it you realized uh, when you were filming and how much of it happened in the editing room, but there is this very, Samantha's journey is a very interesting mirror to any creative's journey, which is basically, I'm doing something I love but it's a struggle and I, nothing tells me if it's going to get worse or get better and for how long. And this is just the way it goes for all of us. Uh, even a success doesn't mean, uh, you know, that it's going to stay like this. How did you decide to stop this story and how 
it's two questions that are, have nothing to do with each other, but how did you okay. decide to stop, stop this story and how did you feel about this... Um, I mean, it's it's not an easy story. Her story is not an easy story, and 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 you had no, there is nothing that tells you it's going to get better or it's going to get worse. Uh, I'm guessing in the first few years you were filming. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it was a, you had a good instinct on something that could have just stayed that way for a very long time. So I'm just interested in the process of how did you feel it was time to stop at the moment you stopped the story. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I don't think you ever fully know. Um, but, but you know, something interesting you said, which really spoke to me as well, is, you know, as I was filming Samantha, I, I really identified with what she was doing. Um, you know, I, I see uh, quite a few parallels between a cat circus and being a filmmaker, or, or as you said, making any piece of art. So, you know... I, I think that was that fact really um, kept me open to continuing the process for a long period of time um, because you know I did really identify with what she was doing. Um, as far as ending the project, you know, it reached a point where I believed um, that we were exploring very spe specific ideas of of artistry in contemporary America and what that means, and so. I believe we hit the certain point where she reaches a certain peak. I don't want to talk about that too much, of course, um, you know, and give, give anything yeah. away. But <laughs> the, the trouble but, with documentary, we cannot say anything. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're talking in abstracts here and in broad strokes, um, but <laughs> it's really funny. But, you know, basically it hit a point where I was like, okay, you know, every every scene in this film is basically leads to a certain idea about uh, pursuing a craft or, or pursuing a vision. And we could have kept filming, um, but I felt like we hit a point where it was conclusive, at least to a certain degree. Um, and, and once I realized that um, there was this pinnacle moment that, you know, felt like there was at least some sense of closure, I, I felt like you know, that, that was a great moment to stop. You know, I was like, we could film another five years and, and see if things change, but, but I feel like there is this really defined moment that could serve the story and, and be an ending. And I think instead of seeing what happens over another decade, now is the time to, to uh, finish this up, if that makes sense. I know I'm trying not to give too much away while, while giving a uh, um, a satisfactory answer. I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so during this first uh, five years when you were just it was just you basically shooting with your uh, friend at the beginning and then uh, on your own and editing a little bit. As you were seeing that you were spending more and more time doing this project and it was likely to become a feature documentary, did you ever consider launching a crowdfunding campaign to help you? sustain your efforts during the shooting of the documentary? You know, I did, and it was it was a really difficult uh, call because on one hand, I was like, you know, this, this could really help the film. On the other hand, I, I felt really conflicted for a couple reasons. Um, one of them is just that, you know, I didn't want to potentially take money out of Samantha's pocket. Um, you know, she, she, over the course of time, develops um, a fan base. And, you know, she tours constantly and, and 
one of my concerns was that maybe, you know, people would decide to give money to this, but then maybe not buy her her merchandise that helps sustain her or not, you know, go to one of her shows. Um, so for me, I, I was really trying to affect or, or not affect her life, or I'm sorry, affect her life as little as possible. Um, also, you know, I had made a lot of projects before, but this was my first feature. And as a first time feature filmmaker, um, maybe this is me being stubborn, but, but I really, uh, feel like I, I wanted to, uh, prove that I could make this, um, and, and not ask other people to help without them really having an understanding of my, you know, work as a feature filmmaker, since that was something that was, you know, not completely, uh, you know, there, there was really no proof that, that I could do this yet. So um, not to say you shouldn't ask for money when, when you're trying a new endeavor, but, but for me, I, th I think there's something in me, it, it makes it hard for me to ask for uh, financial help when I'm pursuing art. So you come back, you were done with shooting and the real post-production phase was going to start. Were you still in uh, Milwaukee at that moment? So at that move moment, you know, things became a bit more complicated because um, probably about two to three years into the shooting process, I had moved to Philadelphia and and then eventually to New York. So, so I moved a couple times. And so, you know, I, I would fly back to Chicago and the Midwest to shoot sometimes. Um, and, you know, sometimes she was touring on the East Coast. So, you know, we would actually film in Philadelphia or, or film in New York when she had shows there as well. But, but I will say that, you know, a lot of the footage that we shot Um, was captured when I was still living in the Midwest. It, it was almost like um, by the time I moved, it was more about getting very specific and pinnacle moments. We felt like we really had um, a lot of footage that encompassed uh, her road life and her touring life. I'm interested in understanding how, what was your thinking in terms of not only post-production, but also Uh, were you starting to think about distribution, film festivals? And the reason I asked is because, I mean, because it interests me, of course, but, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know, but um, you, one of the things you, you wrote to me when you, when you wrote to me about your project is that you said, I learned that with zero connections to industry and film festivals, it is possible to make something that can be shared, discussed, and find an audience. So what's interesting to me in your journey is that you really made a feature film pursuing a story that was interesting to you, but not necessarily having anything in place to make sure it would... Uh, you didn't have any advantage, let's say. So what did you do? And how did you learn, discovered, and acted to have your film into festivals and anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because in re retrospect, filming this project, it, it was such a naive time in my life. Um, just regards to, you know, I, I, basically, I just followed an impulse. In other words, I was like, I think this this project that this woman um, is pursuing is is beautiful and amazing and, and I want, and I think it's really cool and I think it would make a great story. Um, and, you know, it, it was at a time where really internet content wasn't as prevalent uh, as it is now, just as far as, you know, of course the internet existed, but, but you know, I feel like there's really been a shift towards 
um, online watching in a way that wasn't there before. Um, so I, I really wasn't thinking about distribution, which if I made this film now, I would probably think uh, very differently. But, you know, basically I was like, I want to make this project. Um, I think it would be something potentially that other people would want to see. But that was really as far as I took it. And, and towards the end of making it, you know, then I was really trying to consider, okay, what is distribution going to look like? And it was actually something I became pretty concerned about um, because I realized in the editing room that this was going to be a fairly short feature. Um, you know, it, it's now like a 90 minute feature that has a more theatrical length. So I was concerned that festivals may not want it as a result of it. Maybe we should say that the feature is 70 minutes, I think, if I remember correctly. Yes, you know, I, I think technically, you know, at festivals and on television, a feature is 52 minutes. So, so mine definitely makes the cut in that regard. But, you know, a lot of film festivals, this is my understanding of it, at least, you know, probably a film festival programmer could speak more to it than I. But, you know, my impression was that it's more difficult to put in a shorter film because for programming sake, a lot of uh, programmers potentially want to put a film in a festival um, that's, a you know, at least 80 minutes so that an audience feels like it's worth going out to see it, you know, instead of going somewhere for 50 minutes and then turning around. Although that might have changed a lot in the past couple of years, too, as, you know, content has so many different lengths now. I, I think some of those barriers are being broken or, you know, people have a different idea of what a duration of a film should look like. I'm kind of rambling a bit, I guess, but, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, so much is, is rapidly changing in a way that it, I feel like it wasn't when this project began. It's true that it's it's uh, it's every three years now when you look back, it feels like, wow, if I had known this was going to go that way, I wouldn't have done it like that. But so, I, so I'm intrigued about, first I should take a, a step back and, and uh, go back to the post-production. You said you got a grant for post-production. So what in post-production did you do? What did you apply for? What type of grant did you get? Yeah, so I mean, th there, there were a couple different ones I got. Um, you know, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And basically, there there's this um, association there called the Philadelphia Film and Video Association. So um, I, I applied there, and I received some help. Um, I was I was actually at the time I was in Philly because I was doing a master's program in in media there, um, and so I, I also was provided with some university funds. That was that was really helpful that I applied for. Um, so those were, were the two predominant ways I, I received funding, um, which, which really helped um, in, in post-production. Um, and, and I mean, I also, you know, since production costs a little, I was perpetually saving, knowing that in post-production, you know, I would need to supplement whatever grants I got if I got them. So, you know, I definitely put some of my own uh, money into the pot as well. So is this like $5,000 or uh, much more or much less? You know, I'm trying to, again, it's all in the books. I don't know if I could tell you a, a good number now, but but I would say it's it's probably, are, are you asking how much post-production costs? Just to have an estimate, if we're talking about like 5000 or 25000 you know, it's just for people to understand the scale because for everybody no budget means something very different so yeah. it's interesting to understand how much money you actually need either on the lowest type of scale right you know i 
I'm, I couldn't tell you an exact amount, but I would say, I believe, you know, total, it was around $10,000 I received in funding. Um, and then I, I supplemented as well. So post-production costs definitely more than the actual production of the, of the movie. You know, it, it did. And, you know, I, at the time I was, you know, the one thing, even though I was really naive is I, I knew that in this case in documentary where so much of the story is crafted in the editing room, you know, where we had hundreds of hours of footage over the span of um, this amount of time we were shooting that it would, you know, require funds. So I was also, you know, saving and being as frugal as possible um, simultaneously. Were you also saving for film festivals application, possibly you attending those festivals. Um, how, how did you do for the festival application? I'm guessing you, you took care of everything or you had someone helping you for that? Yeah, I mean, I essentially took care of everything. Um, I, the, the producer I worked with, Tom Trudeau, the co-producer, um, you know, he put in a little bit for film festival submissions here and there as well. But, you know, really for the most part, That was that was me too. So, do you remember to approximately? It doesn't have to be an exact number, but I'm really interested in, in knowing how many film festivals did you apply to? Did you once you realized that you you had to think about film festivals? Did you try to build a strategy, or did you just apply to anything that uh, seemed like a fit? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because closer to the time of submitting, um, you know, it, the realization that this film may not play in any festival, <laughs> you know, sort of crossed my mind. And I was like, okay, so uh, what, what are we going to do if it doesn't get into festivals? I was prepared for that not to happen. But, you know, I, after working on it for so many years, you know, I, you definitely want to, I wanted to try to see where this could go. Um, but, but I kind of had zero expectations and not because I didn't believe in the film, but because, you know, I, I feel like it gets more competitive each year with um, accessible technology. So many people are making things and, and um, submitting them to curators. Uh, but, you know, my strategy was sort of, I did, you know, to apply to the bigger you know, a lot of bigger festivals just to know that I did. I, I didn't necessarily expect to get in, you know, applied to Sundance and, and a couple others. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I also applied to the big, uh, bigger documentary festivals, um, which, you know, I would say predominantly that's where we've been screening, which, which has kind of been perfect for our film. When I applied to Doc NYC, you know, I really wanted to screen it um, at that festival because I thought it would you know, be a great festival for this film. Um, but I didn't expect to get in. Um, I was really surprised and, you know, excited to be part of such a, a great festival at that point. So, you know, we kind of applied to the big festivals and then sort of isolated and worked our way down to other festivals that we thought might be a, a great fit for the film. And so when, when you got into IFC and uh, your, your film premiered there, what did, um, was it like one screening during the festival or there were several screenings? Did you do, did you print flyers or were there Q&As? Were there anything during that time that, uh, did you meet any distributors? I have no idea how it uh, works over there. So... Can you tell, tell us about it? Yeah, so I mean, Doc NYC, it's, it's a really great festival because um, I, I think they really strive and, and try to um, help 
filmmakers, you know, meet people in in the industry. You know, it's it's not like you're you're guaranteed to to sell a film there. I I sure didn't. Um, but you know, they they set up daily. You know, there's meetings that you can have with a couple other filmmakers and distributors to kind of just understand the lay of the land um, a bit. So, you know, you can ask them any questions, um, you know, you can say, you know, potentially if they're interested, can I can I send you a link to my film? Um, and so, yeah, we to answer your other questions, I guess I'll start at the top. Um, we, we had one screening there. It was it was really great. It was on a, a Friday night, which was, you know, kind of a really ideal time at the IFC Center. And, uh, yeah, we, we kind of tried to promote the film as much as we could. We, we made flyers and, and sort of isolated locations where we thought, you know, interested parties would go, you know, printed out a, a couple posters. Um, but that being said, you know, our budget is so tiny that there were some things I wish we could have done or I wish I had account, accounted for that I didn't. Um, I didn't, I wasn't able to hire a publicist and, you know, I, I, I think a lot of other films there did that. So really, I was for a month emailing a lot of um, writers and seeing if you know we could potentially collaborate on a write-up or an interview. Um, I, I was doing all the the press myself, so it's sort of juggling like eighty hats at once at that point, trying to finish up post production, um, trying to promote the film both digitally and in the real world. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know what the real world is anymore since digital <laughs> has taken over. Um, but, uh, you know, I was sort of tap dancing. I was doing a bit of everything. What happened after the, the screening? Do you feel it helped the, movie, the documentary getting in other festivals? And wh where are you now, basically, with the movie? I don't think necessarily... I, I guess I can't quantify if it helped it get into other festivals. Um, in other words... You know, you know, I, I think all the programmers that I've met, they really love films. And, you know, the impression I've gotten is that they really, you know, choose the films that, you know, they think will best fit both as a curated festival, but also, you know, that they, they really enjoy. Um, but I will say that that festival um, put a bit more attention on it, which I, I felt was really helpful. And, um, you know, I, I think my film at Doc NYC was probably one of the lower budget films on, on the totem pole, perhaps the lowest budget. You know, I'm, I'm not going to make that bold statement, but, uh, you know, we were really bare bones. And, you know, I, I really appreciated them programming it because, you know, it, it is a, a lower budget production. But, you know, after the festival, I received emails from other festivals inquiring about it. So, you know, I won't say that it got me into other festivals, but I will say that You know, um, because Doc NYC is, you know, a, a pretty big documentary festival, I think other people learned about it from that. Right now, where is the documentary? Did it play in theater? Could you find a distributor? Could you sell it? What happened next? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, you know, um, you know, maybe we should check in a, in a couple months because it, it's still actually, you know, we're in the process of deciding um, the best steps to take. Um, we've, we've spoken with a couple distributors Um, we're still uh, playing the festival circuit. Um, we're, we're going to be at the San Francisco Documentary Festival um, at the beginning of May. Um, we'll be playing in Australia in Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. And 
I'm, I'm not quite sure uh, what we're going to do yet. That's still something we're discussing. What are the different options you're thinking about? Well, um, you know, there, there's a couple uh, distribution companies that have expressed a bit of interest. Something else I've considered is self-distribution. Although, you know, I mean, there, there, there's pros and cons to both of that. Um, and... You know, this is something that I, I didn't really consider when we be, when we began making this film, and also I think something that happened simultaneously to making it is that there is a large uh, cat fan base out there. You know, an internet cat fan base. I, I think that sort of blew up while while we were making this film. So you know, I am kind of contemplating while this film isn't specifically about cats. Um, you know, obviously that is. A part of the story. So, so I am thinking about, you know, who would be interested in this film and, and how to uh, distribute it to interested parties, uh, you know, people who just enjoy documentaries and, and people and people who love cats and who would enjoy this and, and the best um, outlet for this. So, um, I, you know, I guess I wish I, I had information to tell you about the actual distribution, but that is something that you know, we're going to figure out in the next couple months. It's very funny. In the new episode that I'm going to release uh, tomorrow, technically, but not, I mean, not when people will hear that it will be in the past. I interviewed Elizabeth Subrin, who is a filmmaker who is also based in New York, actually. Oh, that's so funny. I know her. Yeah, oh, you she do? Is, she's great. Yeah. Uh, a Woman Apart, her exactly. film she made. Exactly. Yeah, she made it a fantastic film. Um Yeah, I uh, when I was getting my master's, uh, you know, she teaches at Temple, and we, we talked about my film. Yeah, That's she's she's so excellent. Funny. So, but maybe you you can talk with her uh, about what I'm about to say directly. But something she said that I found very interesting, and she mentioned the fact that for her movie, one of the things she did but wished she had um, had more funds for is that she hired an uh, engagement strategist, mm -hmm. which is, um, we don't have this work title in France, and I don't think this work title exists in many countries, but basically, uh, in the documentary world in America, apparently, there is this uh, person called engagement strategist who is going to target the audience that would uh, be receptive to the topic of the documentary and organize to Q&A and... Uh, whatever events to create some uh, buzz. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that, that you say that, first of all, because I know Elizabeth and that's really funny. Um, but also, yeah, you know, I, I actually recently spoke to um, an engagement strategist or, or something similar to that, um, I, I guess. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm considering hiring a publicist, um, but, but what I'm really trying to do uh, regardless of, you know, how this actually comes to fruition is, you know, uh, looking into select cities that, you know, Samantha has toured in and, you know, where there are people that would really en enjoy this film and, and trying to set up some grassroots screenings if possible and, you know, really sort of build a, a community around this film. Um, because I think, you know, one of the really beautiful things about uh, her art and her circus is the fact that there is this community that really appreciates her work and, and you know, we're hoping to build outward from there. I don't think it's the case for a lot of uh, movies and I think it might be very hard to uh, self-distribute because for the price of one film people can just uh, have a Netflix subscription but in your Without case, 
In your case, I think there's a, a lot of uh, potential as long as uh, you can find the people who will help you out. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And, and I think more now than ever, it's, it's something that, you know, everyone should consider from the beginning of production. Um, you know, something, as I said, that I def definitely didn't consider and, and the climate uh, was very different, but but now with so much competition for eyeballs on on media, um, you know, I, I think it's more important than ever to say, you know, who is this film, you know, not necessarily who is it for, but who is really going to engage with it. Um, and so I agree with you 100%. That that's almost the most important part um, if you want people to see, you know, the project, of course. Yeah, because it always sounds like it's going to happen on its own. And I think until you really get to real, I mean, until you make your first film and you realize how much work it actually takes for a movie to be seen, it's, uh, it's hard to understand. <laughs> that it's, uh, it's, it's like, even though everybody has internet, it always makes it worse right now. Yeah, exactly. It's like, where, do, where do I turn? Where do I look? Exactly. You know? So you, you, you mentioned, uh, of course, uh, that um, you wished you had maybe started to think about film strategy earlier. And, but besides this, this point, what, what are the biggest lessons if you, if you have them in mind? They can be practical, they can be philosophical. Uh, you, you're taking with you from this project to your next project, whether it's a documentary or not. I just think as a, as a creative and as a maker. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, one of, one of the big things is I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, as I said, that when this film began, um, it was made during a very different time in um, <laughs> filmmaking history. Uh, I don't want to make it sound that grandiose, but, uh, um, and, and so, you know, now as I make my next project, I'm really trying to think, you know, where can this exist and live, kind of what we were talking about, but just in, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm considering would the next project just play on the internet, you know, would, would there be a specific forum for that? Um, but, but also I guess, you know, I'm really, you know, considering how much of the budget should go to outreach and, th it, it, you know, it's kind of something we just talked about, but, uh, you know, I think that's the greatest lesson. Um, because when, when I made my first feature, I was so, focused on completing it, you know, and doing all of these steps by myself, they, they, you know, the idea of distributing it sometimes slips through the cracks naively. And, and that's really, you know, what it comes down to at the end of the day, if, if, if you want people to see it. Um, I, I would say also, after this experience, I, I really, the next project I'm planning on working with a lot more collaborators, you know, it was, it was really, kind of great working predominantly with one other person or by myself. And I think the, this project couldn't have been made in another way. You know, I think the way the story is told, this bare bones um, crew uh, was essential because, it, you know, it's kind of a, a more intimate portrait, I guess you could say. Um, but, but in the future, you know, I, I really want to make sure that I have a, a solid crew in place to make the next one. So I'm not So I can really focus on, on these, you know, one specific and important area of production or post at a time instead of juggling it all. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, one of my big questions is if you would have started thinking about distribution early on and have maybe hired someone to help you create some audience engagement, 
would you have taken as many years to shoot your film or would you have feel the pressure to release it as fast as possible? And I think in your case, your film um, benefited from uh, covering many years, as you said, instead of being um, done in six months. And that might be partly because you didn't have, you were not spending money on other departments and felt like it needs to move forward, needs to move forward. That's totally subjective, unscientific personal opinion. <laughs> But what I, what I find interesting with your film is that at the same time, you actually, the internet revolution is playing in your favor because cats are a thing now, which, right. uh, you know, it was not really, I don't know, like, I don't feel... It's even hard to remember how it was five years ago. This is how crazy fast things are changing. But, you know, today it does feel that there is a, an audience for cats topic, uh, even, <laughs> yeah. ser even serious ones. Uh, but, but, but the, and so that's kind of my, my internal debate, which is we always say hire someone to help you with the audience engagement as fast as possible, as early as possible in your project. And at the same time, How do we know in three or... Because most projects take three to seven years. So, right. you know, if your next project is going to take, let's say, five years, because we're optimistic, um, what, where, you know, how we're, what we're doing today is going to be relevant in five years from now? I don't know. In terms of uh, audience engagement, I mean, not in terms of uh, content create, creation. So... Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good point, right? You know, uh, you know I, I think... Before this this huge internet revolution, you could probably you know have a very specific uh, plan for engagement, and now it's you know as you said it's, it's rapidly changing every two seconds. Um, you know I, I think what's important, really perhaps arguably, um, you know, is, is making sure that the audience that would be interested in this film is engaged with as soon as possible. You know, just just finding that audience, even if. Um, There's potential for the film to shift or the way it's made or distributed changes. Um, just having people, you know, in some ways it almost seems like the future of, of media is, is community-based. You know, in other words, so many people are releasing content online and, and finding communities. So um, I, I think that's one avenue that's interesting to think about and worth exploring more, which, um, you know, wasn't done with this film in the preliminary stages. You, you mentioned you were working on something right now. Uh, are you working on something right now? What, what type of project it is? And uh, if you can tell us about this, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I basically, because this film, you know, we've been going to all these festivals um, and, and thinking about distro. There, there's, I have a lot of small projects in, in the works, um, either shorter uh, documentaries or... Um, and, and, Uh, web series ideas um, as well, but you know nothing I can speak on too much as of yet because basically I have a, a huge list of projects that I'm going to get started on as soon as uh, this film is distributed. So it, it's more there's a lot of ideas percolating, and uh, and I'm trying to decide which is is the next one to to work with for the long haul or or the short haul, I guess. Um, but one of them is going to be. A smaller collection of short documentaries and, and I kind of want to play with that form and and put them online and uh, see how that goes. If people want to know more about the documentary and or reach out to you 
what are the best ways for them to do it and then of course I link to everything in the on the site. We have a website for the film. It's acrocastsmovie.com. Um, our email is on the site and you can just contact us directly and we'll get back to you. Um, we're on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, all of those links are on our website. Uh, so yeah, definitely reach out there and we'll, we'll get back ASAP. Jacob, thank you so much for your time, for uh, taking us through your uh, creative journey. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Keep us posted, keep me posted, and I'll make sure to keep uh, the website posted <laughs> and <laughs> the readers certainly. posted. And um, until next time then. Oh, yes. Until next time. Thanks again for having me. This episode was produced and edited by me, Nathalie Sejean. The music was created by French artist Soul of Bear. You can discover their techno universe on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash soulofbear. You can find all the show notes along with all the previous episodes on mentorless.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. I'll see you in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>